I heard a word a few years ago that I had not heard before, and I immediately liked the word when I heard it. The word is futurist. That there are people in the world that are known as futurists. And I was like, ooh, that sounds like a really cool thing. In fact, a, a pastor that I really like who's written some books, I read his bio and it said, pastor, author, futurist. I was like, what is that? And can I be that? Is that? Can I go to VCU and get a degree in futurism? Like, what, what do I have to do to become a futurist? That sounds super cool. And it immediately reminded me of like things from my childhood, like the ancient predictor guy, Nostradamus, right? I was like, oh, it's like, or, or from my childhood, Miss Cleo the, from the Psychic Hotline. I was like, oh, this is what this is. This is someone who can like look into the future and like see things. And it sounded awesome. And, and I really w- thought, how can I become one? Because when I get on an airplane, I have to tell the person sitting next to me that I'm a pastor. If I could tell people I'm a futurist, that sounds amazing. Well, I looked into it. It's not as mysterious as it sounds. A futurist is someone who can look at a company and basically analyze trends. They'll look at a company and they'll go, okay, where have you been? What are, what are your values as a company? What are you doing? Where is the market headed? Uh, basically, your past history and your current reality. If they can look at those two things closely and get a good grasp on them, they can get a good idea of where you're going, your trajectory. And they can say, all right, five years from now, you will be here based on past history, current reality, your staffing, your overhead, the market, all those kind of things. This is where you're going to go. So a futurist is someone who can analyze trends and, and kind of project out into the future. It's not that complicated. But it's not just something you can do for companies. It's also something we could do for individuals. Like if I could sit down with you and say, where have you been? Tell me your story of your family, your past history, what you've been into, your, your education, you know, all, all, kind of, all the things that led up to now. And then tell me some things about your current reality. What are you reading right now? Who are you hanging out with right now? What are you dreaming about? Those sorts of things. I could take all of that information and put it together, and I could get some reasonable trajectory of your life and say, okay, you're going somewhere. I could get what we would call your default future, which is basically that past history, the, the, the current reality kind of project out of the future. I could get a sense of what your default future is. Ready or not, that future is coming to you. Now, when I say default future, I'm not talking about your inevitable future like you're going to get old and die someday. Like that's obviously, that's happening for all of us. That, that's, that is what's, what's coming for us. But um, a default future is actually what's going to happen in your experience, whether you give it much thought or not. It's just sort of like what, if, if we could take current reality, past history, put those things together, basically what's going to happen for you in the next 10 to 20 years? What's the trajectory of your life? Um, And maybe you've thought about that. Maybe you've thought about where am I going to be 10 years from now, 20 years from now, if nothing really changes radically, the road that I'm on, where does that take me? But here's what bugs me. If we all have a default future coming to us, like, does it have to happen? Like, can we change it? Can, can Can we alter some things? Can we rewrite a future that's already been written? Because it feels a little bit fatalistic, determinist to me, like I'm just living my life out following some sort of plan that's written down somewhere that I don't know about and I'm just kind of following along. But what would it look like to change that default future, to, to rewrite the thing altogether. Not to, give me, not to give myself a better future, because when we say the word better, we're actually just referring to something in the past, right? I was this, I want something better in the future. Not better, but new completely, as in tear down the script and let's start over again and have a new future. What would it look like 
to change that way and to rewrite our own futures. Um, that has actually been the focus of my life, especially over the last couple of years. Um, I, I would say the mission that I'm on is to be a disciple who makes disciples wherever he goes. And I would actually argue that if you're a follower of Jesus, that's your mission too. That, that's all of us. We are called, if we're followers of Jesus, we are called to be disciples of him and to make other disciples, to help other people be disciples of him wherever we go, wherever your job is, wherever you live, that's our mission. But as I was writing down over the last six months, Chris, okay, where do you want to go in the next 10 years? Where, where do you see your life going? What do you want to focus on? What I kept landing on was I want to be an expert in change. I want to be an expert in, so that I can change and grow because I, I get into ruts. I get stuck. I want, to, I want to break through that in my own life. But I also want to help other people to do it. I'm the kind of person, like, if I learn something new and it's, and it's made a difference, I want to tell people, I want to help people grow. So how can I walk alongside other people and help them to rewrite their future, or at least to give it some edits so that their future changes and that they become who God is calling them to be? And so for the next eight weeks, starting today, I want to give you the best tools for change that I know of. Uh, this is stuff I've been working on for a couple years, and I'm... Uh, I'm probably still not ready to say it out loud, but I'm just going to put it all out there here over the next eight weeks. And th these messages are going to be aimed at people who feel stuck. And I actually think that's all of us on some level. It, it may be about different things. You may feel stuck with your health. You've tried some things and they're not, not working, whether it's exercise or diet or something like that. You may feel stuck um, with relationships. This relationship's not going anywhere. I can't have a breakthrough with my dad. We're just there. Me and my brother still aren't getting along. We're just in that space. You may feel stuck in relationships. You may feel stuck in your faith. I've sort of plateaued. I'm not growing. I used to know God. I used to be hungry for him. I don't feel like I'm getting anything. I don't feel like I'm growing. I just feel stuck. And so these, these messages, whether you're 15, 25, 45, 65, whatever, um, we all get in these ruts and we all get stuck. And these messages are aimed at people who are feeling that to help you become unstuck. So I would, I would guess there's a couple different types of people in the room. There are people in this room right now that I'm like, hey, you can rewrite your future. You don't have to live into the default future that's coming to you. And, you, and, and this is aimed at people who are stuck. And there's people in the room right now who are like, yes, I am stuck totally. That's why I'm in this seat right now. Like, this is just where I landed. This is where I'm at in life. Whatever you say, like, I want to take notes. I want to get this. And, and for you, if you come here hungry, I think these next seven weeks after today are going to be just a gourmet meal for you to, like, really dial into and, and, and get a lot out of it. Others of you are skeptical. Right now, you're already thinking, eh, change, growth, like, he probably doesn't know that much. He's a preacher anyway, so like he's just going to talk about Jesus or something, and then that's going to be that. Uh, he probably is not going to help me in my real-world problems. He's just going to talk about religious things, and so that's probably not going to help. And, and you're probably pretty skeptical. Well, hey, what could this guy teach me? And I get that. I understand. I'm, I'm for sure not the smartest person in this room. Uh, I'm some, one of you are the smartest person in the room. I don't know who it is. Um, I don't know. Maybe you came with that person. Maybe, I don't know, ask him on the way out. Are you the smartest person? I don't know. Um, but... But, but you may be skeptical, and, and, that, and so maybe this series will be a bit of a struggle for you. In fact, the ancient Greek, uh, the Stoic philosopher Epictetus said, it is impossible for a man to learn what he thinks he already knows. So if you think you already know what I'm going to tell you, um, it, this is going to be tough for you, probably. But I would encourage you to stick with it in June and July here at Area 10. 
Stick with it and digest this stuff because I, I still believe there's something in here for you. And then there's maybe a third group of people that when you look at your default future, if you're to project out the current trajectory of your life for 10 years or something, you like where this is going. And so you don't need to rewrite your future. You love the default future that's coming to you. And I would say, man, that's great. That's awesome for you. And I'm excited for you. But let me just give you a little note of caution. God has a way of throwing us curveballs. And what feels so great and awesome and certain today could totally change tomorrow. And so maybe there's some principles in here in this series that are going to be very helpful for you when tomorrow comes and when you feel the need to pivot and, and change. So I am going to go into scripture with this, and I, and I want to look at a guy, um, a conversation that Jesus Christ had with this guy. And this guy uh, looked down the road at his default future, and he didn't love it. And so he came to Jesus to ask him about it, because Jesus was the religious rock star rabbi teacher in the first century in, around Jerusalem and in northern Israel. Jesus was the guy, and, and this man came to Jesus and wanted to know some things and wanted to, wanted to change his own default future. Now, this guy is written about in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the books of the New Testament. We're going to look at Luke here in a minute. Um, and if you piece all three of those narratives together, you get a picture of this guy. Uh, there's things we know about him. He's wealthy. This guy who comes to talk to Jesus is wealthy. He's politically connected. He's an official of some sort, um, and he's a fairly young guy. Um, And so we call him in the New Testament, we call him the rich young ruler. Uh, That's not, that wasn't his nickname or anything like that. It's just for short, that's what we call him. So the rich young ruler, this guy comes and talks to Jesus. And I want us to pick it up in Luke 18, starting with verse 18. And the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? All right, so this guy comes to Jesus, and he asks, he starts with a question, and his question is, what do I need to do to be good enough? Like, he's looking down the road at his future, and he's saying, am I doing the right thing? Am I living on purpose? Do I have meaning? Am I following God? Uh, Am I doing the stuff that puts me in good standing with God? And so he goes to Jesus and says, hey, what do you think? What do I need to do to, to inherit eternal life? Now, if we could try to get an idea of what this guy was like, or even if we put it in modern terms, he's rich, he's young, he's well-connected. So this guy is on the top 30 under 30 list of his city. Um, He's on the power list where they list all the important people in the city. Uh, People do what he says when he gives commands to people. He rules over some people. His money buys him a lot of things. Oprah returns his phone calls when he calls. Um, He's young, rich, and powerful. And those are good things to be not only today, but in the ancient world and pretty much in every society throughout history. If you're young, rich, and powerful, your, your, your future looks pretty good. If you could project out his default future, if nothing changes with this guy, his future looks like wine, women, and song. Like, he's going to have whatever women he wants because he's powerful and wealthy, and there's, there's always some women that are going to be attracted to that. He's going to have power. He's going to be able to order people around. He can throw the best parties. He gets results. I mean, he's that guy. So as he's looking down the road to his default future, it looks pretty good. It looks like a world full of leisure and pleasure. And like, who doesn't want that? That sounds pretty awesome. And yet, this guy feels like Something is missing that's not enough. Yeah, I can have all the things that money can buy, but I get this nagging sense that there are just some things in life that money can't buy. 
and I'm not sure I'm on the track to get them. The heart of life, in fact, may be stuff that money can't buy. And maybe he feels an angst about it. And that's not unusual. That's happened all throughout history. Before him was a guy named Solomon. Solomon was one of the wealthiest people in the ancient world, a ruler over Israel. And Solomon is the one who looks at all his money, all his wealth, and he writes about it in the Old Testament. And he says, it's all vanity. It's all meaningless. It's all empty. Alexander the Great, who came years after Solomon, Alexander the Great conquers the ancient world. And it is said of Alexander that he wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. He had done it all, and there's nothing left for him to conquer. And he cries about it. There's an angst there, or if we could take it even into modern day. I was surprised a few weeks ago, as probably many of you were, that Chris Cornell, the lead singer from Soundgarden, died. Apparently some sort of overdose or uh, medication and drugs. And, uh, and, I, and I thought about that because uh, Chris Cornell and Soundgarden was a very popular band when I was in high school. It tells you how old I am. Some of you were like, that was elementary school for me. But, uh, but he was a big deal, and I thought about, okay drugs or overdose or like, man, he's a great musician, really at like had accomplished so much at the top of his game. And then I thought about the other bands that were popular with Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, uh, Nirvana, Soundgarden, of course, Stone Temple Pilots. What do those bands have in common? All of their lead singers died from drug overdose, suicide, something. And I know there's chemical things going on there, depression and drugs and all that kind of stuff. But all of them hit the top of their career and they were empty. There's an angst there. There's a pain there that all the money and fame and whatever wasn't helping. The only one left is Eddie Vedder, I think, of that group, you know. And he's probably not depressed because he's from San Diego and it's just great, right? But, 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 I, but I was just like, man, what is going, what is going on there? Why is there an emptiness? Well, there's just this hole inside of us. And all the money and stuff that we shove into it is not going to fix it. So this guy's feeling this, this rich young ruler, and he comes to Jesus like, hey, maybe he can change my future because I actually don't like where this is going. So he asked Jesus, hey, what do I need to do? And listen to Jesus' response, verse 19. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Jesus answers this guy's question with a question. We'll get into that in two weeks, but that is a thing he does all the time. And he wants to engage the questioner. He wants them to engage their heart, their will, their motives, the stuff that's going on underneath the surface. If you just stay up on the surface, you won't change. You have to die, dial down. You've got to dive into several layers deep. And so Jesus frequently, when asked a question, he goes back at them with a question. Oh, why do you call me good? Let's think about this. What are we talking about here? And then Jesus, talking to a Jewish man, rolls out some of the Ten Commandments. Oh, if you want to inherit eternal life, if you want to be right with God, You know, just follow the commandments. Don't kill anybody. Don't cheat on your wife. Don't lie. Don't steal things. Honor your father and mother. He rolls out several of the Ten Commandments. Interestingly enough to me, I think, he rolls out the easier half of the Ten Commandments and and gives this guy, you know, kind of spots him one like, hey, have you committed adultery? Have you killed anybody? And and so the guy, hearing this, uh, and says, okay, yeah, all right, this is it. This is what it takes to inherit eternal life. I I need to just follow the Ten Commandments. That seems... Pretty simple, you know, he's probably hearing Jesus say this, and he's like, check, 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 I've done all those things. 
Listen to how he responds back to Jesus. Verse 21. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Now this is where I wish we could see it on video and not just read it. Because I really want to know what that guy's facial expression is when he says it. I want to know the tone of voice he said that in. When Jesus says, honor your father and mother, don't commit adultery, all this. And the guy responds with, well, all of these things I've kept from my youth. Is he excited? Is he like, yes, oh, this is easy, I've done this, check. I've done that, yep, 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 I've done all these things. I don't think he was. I think he's actually a little disappointed that that's the answer that Jesus gives back to him. I think what's going on is when he says, all these things I've kept from my youth, I I think he's going, dang it, like I've done all that stuff and yet I still feel like something's missing here. He's done the religious thing, put it in modern terms. This guy goes to church, he serves, he prays, he gives money. When they pass the collection at the office, he gives to that too. When the kid comes to the door selling the subscriptions, he buys one. This guy has done all of those things. And yet, there's something in him where he's like, I don't know, I'm not feeling confident about my future. I'm not feeling confident about where this is going. And so, Jesus, picking up on that, he responds back to the guy. And look at verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Let me pause there for a second. Jesus knows that this guy's answer, that the guy's not feeling confident about his default future, about where this is going. And so when he gave him an answer, the guy wasn't feeling confident about it. And Jesus comes back to him and says, okay, there's one thing you're still missing. One thing you lack. And this guy being a high achiever, I'm sure he's going to write it down. He probably pulled out a tablet. And by that, I don't mean like an iPad. He's probably like, oh, let me get, I don't know, like a stone and a, I don't know, a scroll or something. He's like, okay. One thing I lack, all right, the, the teacher, the, the, the hot rock star rabbi of the day, he's going to give it to me. Lay it on me, bro. Let me write this down. What's the one thing? What's the one thing that I'm lacking? Okay. And Jesus says, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. All right, that's weird. Because Jesus said one thing, and then he gives him three things. He says, sell all you have, then distribute the money to the poor, and then follow me. Man, that must have been so unsatisfying to that guy. Imagine, you know, he's like, oh, what's the one thing? Oh, oh, sell all that I have? Wait, hold up, I have a lot. I got a ton of stuff and money and influence. And Jesus is like, okay, if you want to rewrite your future, If you want to change the future that's coming to you, you're going to have to do some things that you've never done before. Now, this shouldn't be hard for our culture to understand. We live in the wealthiest culture in history, right? And and we're in a very very rich country. And holding on to our stuff is the American pastime. We hoard stuff. We, We buy storage units to hold more of our stuff. Like, we're all about that kind of thing. And, and, and a lot of people will, will preach this story about the rich young ruler, and they'll talk about how if our consumerism is left unchecked, it will be lethal to our souls. And we could do that, but I want to look at this from a bit of a different angle. This guy has a default future coming to him. Ready or not, here it comes. And he looks down the road, and he realizes 
that his default future is just going to have more of what he doesn't really want. He realizes there's an emptiness to this whole thing, and Jesus offers him this chance, this moment. He says, look, here's what it's going to take to rewrite your future. You can change your future, but here's the catch. It's going to cost you something, and it's going to cost something different for each of us. This guy, what it's going to cost him to have a different future is money and influence, and he's got a ton of that. It's going to cost him that. And if he wants a different future, he's going to have to lay those things down and start walking a different road. Have you ever been in a situation where you had the opportunity to give up what you already have so that you could get what you really want? It sounds like that would be easy to do, but it's, it's hard. We get very comfortable and secure in what we have, and it's hard to let go of that to get what we really want. I was in a situation back in 2005. I was working at a church in Virginia Beach. It was a great church. I had been there several years, was growing, a lot of opportunities there. I was getting to practice preaching. I was doing music. I was writing music. It was a very creative environment. I really enjoyed it. Um, and, and it was going fine. I, they gave me a laptop. They gave me a cell phone. Uh, they gave me an assistant. I was like, this is great. I had an office with a window and the, the whole thing. Like I was living like the, the white collar, sort of middle class, like going great. But I was looking at where that was headed and I just thought, this isn't exactly where I want to go. And so I made a pivot. I, 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 I made a change there. And in, the, in September of 2005, I left that job and I went to work as a barista at Starbucks. Not in management, mind you, because my ministry background did not scream retail management to Starbucks when they looked at my resume. I went in as a barista wearing a black shirt with a Starbucks logo on it, some tan pants, and a hat, and I cleaned bathrooms, and I made lattes after I'd washed my hands. I just want you to know. Uh, So I, I went and worked for Starbucks, and I was making $9 an hour plus tips, which was like 78 cents an hour, okay? So I'm making like $9.78 on a decent week, uh... And, and, and I was the single income provider for my family of four at the time. This was a little bit stressful on the family finances, to say the least. Um, and then we moved to Richmond in, in, in that, in, a couple months later. Um, and I got one of those no-doc loans where you buy a house and you don't really have to prove how much money you make. So I bought the house that we live in t- today. And... Uh, it was really stressful. Um, we, I, was, I was made an assistant manager, which also doesn't pay a lot. Um, and we were basically, like my income was about twice my mortgage payment. So my income was about 50% of my mortgage payment. If you've gone through financial peace or anything, you know that your housing cost should be no more than about 36% of your income. And when it's 50, like it was at that time, it's very stressful. Uh, there, was, there were ramen noodles and things happening then. It was like, this is, this is really tight. And some of you are in worse or have been in much worse than that. And so you're like, yeah, preach, man. Like, I know. Like, I know what that's like. It was stressful, but it was a pivot that I made because where I was at felt comfortable and secure, but I needed to let go of that to get something better and to get me into the future that I'm in today where we started a coffee shop and started a church and whatever. Um, I had to make a, a shift because I looked down the road at my default future and said, this isn't getting me where I, where I want to go. And uh, man, it can, be, it can be terrifying. 
Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. You have the opportunity to rewrite your future right now. And man, that's scary as heck. Because for some of you, you might have accumulated a lot of stuff. And to let go of that, to lean into a future that's not guaranteed, it's, uh, it can be really terrifying. Uh, if you pivot now, you're going to have to give up a lot. You're going to have to empty your hands of what you've been holding on to. So what do you do? Well, look at what the rich young ruler did. Verse 23. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. That's where Luke leaves it. Mark and and Matthew tell us that uh, the guy walked away. So Jesus challenged him and said, man, you're you're holding on to your stuff. Here's the, the one thing you still lack. He said one thing and he gave him three things. At the heart of it, the one thing is you're holding on to stuff instead of holding on to me. That's the heart of, of your issue. And the guy walks away and it says he walks away sad because he's rich. Does that sound weird to you? It sounds weird to me. I mean, imagine that you're really, really rich. Is sad how you would describe that? <laughs> right? I don't know about you, but I'm like, I don't know. Let me try super rich. I mean, if other people are going to be sad with super rich, I bet I won't be. Like, I bet I can make it work. <laughs> like, let me just take a shot at it. If other, other people, they're, they're going to be so sad, and, you know, Chris Cornell and Solomon and whoever, you know, oh, yes, there's so much angst when you have all the wealth. Let me just take a shot at it, and I, and I bet I'll handle it better. No, it says he's sad because he was so rich. And I think it's because he knew that money wasn't going to get him what he wanted. And Jesus brings that issue to him front and makes it front and center. Money was going to be the thing that was in his way. Now, Jesus preaches about money and greed a lot because it's a big issue for people. But Jesus does not make that the issue for everybody that he encounters. He made it that for this guy. And it may not be the issue that stands in your way right now. But my guess is for us to rewrite our futures, we're all going to have to let go of something. And it's going to look different for each one of us. So here's the question I want to leave you with. What is God asking you to let go of? Is it money? Is it a relationship? Is it the ability or the, the yeah, is it the ability to be right about a relationship? Is it abil- the ability to be right about something that happened in the past? Is God saying, hey, just let that go? What is God asking you to let go of? What is he asking you to, to, to lay down? Is it a job? Is it someone you're dating? Is it a sin that you keep going back to? We, we keep going back to certain sins because they feel good to us. They bring us some temporary pleasure. And is there a sin that you're going to have to lay it down? It's, it's part of your default future and the direction you're going. You're going to have to lay it down if you want to rewrite your future. God is calling you to lay something down right now, and maybe you don't want to. But to get the future that you want, you're going to have to lay some pieces of your default future down. Jesus does not promise that's going to be easy, but he does promise that it'll be good. I believe we can rewrite the future with God's help. To do that, it's going to be hard, and we're going to have to, we're going to, have to think about some hard stuff. Listen, for the next seven weeks... I'm going to lay it out to you. In June, we're going to basically spend the rest of this month talking about how you think, why you think the way you do, 
um, the lies that we tell ourselves, the, the beliefs that, the very limiting beliefs that we have. And we're going to end the month by talking about forgiveness. And I've taught a class on this. And I can tell you, I get the most pushback and the most hard stuff comes out when you start talking about forgiveness. It's not something people are really interested in doing. And yet it's something we're called to do. And it's critical for our growth. So we're going to do that in June. And then in July, we're going to switch. And we're going to switch to a future orientation and say, okay, where are you going? Who is God calling you to be? And how are you going to get there? What does that new future look like? And what are the steps along the road that it's going to take to get there? Once we've dealt with kind of getting very clear about where you're at right now, then we'll talk about going into the future. And I'm just a guy up here on a stage talking to, uh, you know, a couple hundred people in a room. And it'll be very easy for you when we talk through this stuff over this next eight weeks, it'll be very easy for you to hear something that I said and think that it's aimed at someone else. You'll just go, oh, that doesn't apply to me. This must be for someone else. And that's a really good way we, we've all developed to, to keep it safe and keep it at a, at a distance. Oh, that doesn't apply to me. That's awkward. That's for someone else. Maybe it's for you. And, and maybe this won't be the best venue for it. I don't know. I really just want to get this material out to people and, and help people. Really what I'd love to do, and we don't have time for this, but if I could just take all of you out for coffee one at a time, and I could sit across the table, and, and basically what I'd say to you is, where, where are you stuck and, and like, what do you want? And, and what did you always believe you could become? Like, I think there's dreams that are in you, aspirations, hopes that God has put inside of you, and they're laying dormant. They're just, they're not happening right now. And, and maybe it's because we live in a really cynical world. And as time goes on and the years go by, we just stop believing that we could be anything. We stop believing that we could become what we always thought we could become. And so my hope in this series is that we start thinking again about the person God is calling us to be, no matter how old you are. Man, I read, actually I heard it in a podcast. I heard in a podcast uh, a couple weeks ago about this guy who's 71 years old and he has a written out 25-year plan for his life. So he's got it planned out to 96 pretty good. I don't know what he's going to do at 96, get lazy and mail it in. I don't know. But, but I was like, that's awesome. That's not existing. That's like really leaning into the future and saying, man, who do I want to be? Who is God calling me to be? So the choice is yours in this series. You can lean into this and show up every week and, and see where this thing goes. Or you can walk away sad because you think you have so much to lose. I think you can have a new future. I think you can tear down the default future and replace it with something new. And so next week, we're going to start getting into specifics on our thinking, and we're going to talk about how we can start rewriting that future. Let's pray. God, thank you for your work that you do in us, and I thank you for um, your son Jesus and the encounter he had with the rich young ruler and that it was written down for us. God, I pray we, we hear this challenge today and we lean in. We don't walk away sad because we have so much to lose, but we lean in because we know even if it's painful, even if there's challenges here, even if this is gonna bring up territory that we don't wanna go into, we know that doing the same old thing is what got us to this place in the, in the first place and we wanna do something different to, to go into the future that you have for us. God, help us in this journey. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.